Romans chapter 14 uh, this morning in uh, verse number 11. The word of God says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. I'd like for you to notice that phrase, every one of us. May we pray, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and ask your blessing on our time together. Lord, we stand in need today to hear from you. I pray, Father, that you'd remove all distraction and quiet our souls. And Lord, do as we've already asked, that you take the seed of your word press it deep into the soil of our hearts, Lord, so that the adversary cannot come along and take it away. We thank you and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in, in interesting times, don't we? I stand amazed over and over again at how quickly we have moved from one thing to the next. You know, those things which we spoke of in the 70s are, are here now, and, and uh, we're, we're so close. We're so close. I remember my, remember my father many years ago saying, you know, that he was certain that by the time he reached 35 that the Lord would have returned and raptured the church out. And for many years we've, we've been looking for that to happen, the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are entering times when I think many are scoffing in their hearts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? And you know, that's in the Bible. And many have given up. Many have quit. Many have left off uh, earnestly contending for the faith once delivered unto the saints. It's a sad thing. Well, I'm so thankful that God still has his people. We may be thankful that we're not the only ones that have not bowed the knee to, knee to Baal and, and kissed Baal, but God still has his remnant, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And quite frankly, I, I think that as we move on into history and making history in the church, that, that the best years of the church are in front of us. Most productive years of the church are in front of us, but I think it's going to look a little bit different. And in times like these, we must know without a doubt that the Lord Jesus Christ is our personal Savior and that our identity is in Him. I and I use that word identity very purposefully because there is an identity crisis in this world. And I, I even think amongst Christians there is an identity crisis and we get all caught up in what's going on in this world because we've forgotten where our identity is. Not, not only who we are, but what we are, you know. And so let's, let's uh, discuss that for just a moment in Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 3 through 14. I'd like to speak to you concerning... Uh, the identity uh, that we have in Christ, and or maybe if you've not yet trusted Christ as your only hope of a relationship with God and a home in His presence for eternity, maybe you need to put your faith in Him alone so that you can possess this identity. You might be confused. You might you might not understand where your identity is. You you might not know where you fit, where you belong, or or where you're accepted. I want to tell you where you can be accepted. To start the message this morning, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, I don't want you to get hung up on that. Because this is one of the scriptures that those who say that God elects certain people for heaven and elects certain people for hell, this is one of the scriptures that they'll use. The Bible tells us very clearly in 1 Peter 1 2 that we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Is God omniscient? Yes, He's omniscient. And therefore, He knows who is going to place their faith in Christ and who is not going to place their faith in Christ, but He doesn't choose. Man does the choosing. Man has the free will and the opportunity and the, and the responsibility to, to steward the things of God that God's given to him in his life, but also the opportunity to love God of his own free will and obey God of his own free will. And so we're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. For whom he did foreknow, Romans 8, 29 tells us, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of the Son. So what is this thing of election and predestination? Well, we're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. God knows who is going to receive Christ and who's going to reject Christ. And, and it's not that God chooses one for heaven and chooses one for hell. They're just elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And there's omniscience. It's hard for a finite mind to wrap itself around an infinite God, isn't it? And then this thing of predestination, God has determined before the foundation of the world that those who, according to his foreknowledge, have chosen Christ will be conformed into the image of Christ. So let's not get hung up on this thing of election and predestination. Verse number four says, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will. What is God's will? that all men everywhere should be saved, whosoever will may come, and that every one of them who places their faith in Christ will become like Christ. Isn't that what, Jesus, isn't that what God wants? He wants us to be like Christ. He's already determined that. Verse number six, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us, here it is, accepted in the beloved. Do you want to be accepted? Place your faith in Christ alone. And you always have a place in this world. You always have a place in eternity. In the presence of God. You don't have to wonder anymore. You don't have to worry anymore about who likes you and who doesn't like you. You're accepted in the beloved. Isn't that wonderful? In whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Oh, isn't it wonderful that God said, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Having made known unto us, verse number nine, the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time. You know, you know what that is? Listen, if, if we're not living in the fullness of a time right now, we are standing at the end of the church age. We have entered the vestibule. We are on the bridge to the age of the apostates. We are living what is written in many ways in the book of Jude. We're right there. We're right there. Now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Do you know that we live in the age of 
of the spirit of Antichrist. Did you know that? The Antichrist is coming. There are many Antichrists, the Bible says, and we live in the age of the spirit of Antichrist. We're there. We're, this is the fullness of time. Dispensation of fullness of times, verse 10. He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinate, be predestinated, again, to be conformed to the image of Christ, because we're saved, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. We've got the indwelling Spirit of God as the down payment of what we shall be. The Spirit of Christ in us. We have the mind of Christ, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know, First John tells us, that when we see Him, we shall be like Him, but we shall see Him as He is. And we're talking about the believer here. Only those that have trusted in Christ alone is their only hope of a relationship with God and a home in His presence for eternity can say that. We must be sure that our identity is in Him because here, going back to our text and, and in some other places we'll be looking today, we will all kneel, every person everywhere, will kneel before God someday. And it's going to be someday soon. It's going to be someday soon. It's appointed unto man once to die. We all have an appointment with death if the Lord should tarry His coming and not rapture the church out. We all have an appointment with death. I'm not advocating everything about the man. But just a few days ago, we, uh, the world celebrated the holiday, Martin Luther King holiday. The day before he was assassinated, Dr. King gave his I've been to the top of the mountain speech. Another uh, King, Larry King, who's recently passed away from time into eternity, Lord knows where he is, was one time interviewing Billy Graham. Some of you in this room came to faith because of the ministry of Billy Graham. Dr. King mentioned that speech uh, to Billy Graham and Billy Graham interrupted uh, Larry King and said, I've been to the top of the mountain as well. And Larry King said, oh yeah? Well, what did you see? And on national television, Dr. Graham said, I saw heaven and hell. And I chose heaven. I went on to tell how somebody could come to God by faith in Christ. I don't, I'm not advocating all that the, all those men ever stood for. I can't. I can only advocate one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we face right now in this moment. Heaven and hell. There's always only two, you know, in the Bible. Starts off in Genesis, male and female. Only two. In the parables, Jesus spoke of the wheat and the tares. There's only two. Good and evil. Just and unjust. Those that have Christ, those without Christ. And only those with Christ will see heaven. 
the presence of God for eternity. That's where we stand. Right now. We are facing the moment in time when all nations, every kindred, every tongue, and every tribe will stand before God and kneel and acknowledge Him for who He is. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5, which uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. See, God became a man. And in that man's body, he came to this earth and lived a sinless life. He went to the cross. He shed his blood. He died. He was buried and he rose again. In that body, in that physical body, he rose again. He walked around on this earth for 40 days in that human body after he resurrected from the dead and then ascended to be seated at his right hand on the throne of God. Where in that human body today, he sits and intercedes on behalf of all men and women and boys and girls. And will. Until he comes. Mm. let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whoever you are, wherever you may be when you hear these words, whether you're in time or you stepped off into eternity, you will stand before God and acknowledge that He is God, that Christ is the only way to Him. We'll confess it. Everyone. Every one of us. Every one of us shall give account of Himself to God. You can't even look over at your neighbor right now and say, well, boy, I hope that guy's listening. I hope that gal's listening. Mm. Every one of us shall give account of himself. God, that's personal accountability. He's a personal savior. We're talking about personal accountability. Each one of us must answer personally to God. Do you know that? There is nothing that is going to that we'll be able to hide behind it. We're not going to be able to hide behind anything. Matthew 10, 26, Jesus is recording, said, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid, that shall not be known. Absolutely nothing to hide behind. There'll be no more excuses to give. Romans 3, 19, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Nothing to hide behind no more excuses. We'll not only face the law that day, but we will face the lawgiver and the law keeper that day. We each face individual accountability to God. Now here's the thing. Each one of us is a free 
thinking moral agent with the ability to choose. Do you know that? You can listen to what I'm saying today and you can feel whatever you feel about it. You don't even have to believe it. I can't force you to believe it. You can walk away from this. You can reject everything that's being spoken of this morning. And just walk away from it. It is absolutely your choice. We actually see that first accountability in the creation of man when God gave Adam two wonderful gifts in the Garden of Eden. I mentioned this last week, and please forgive me as I indulge in this once again, and I show you this from the Word of God, these wonderful gifts that God gave to Adam in the Garden of Eden. The first one is responsibility, and we find it in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 15. God gave to Adam, as he lived and breathed in this world, a stewardship. God gave him something that came from God, and he was to steward it for, for God. We find it in verse number 15 of Genesis 2. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And so God gave man this wonderful responsibility of keeping the garden that he had created. Of stewarding God's creation. And that's a wonderful gift. So many people today, I, I believe, are, are depressed and, and they don't know what their purpose is in life because they, they don't recognize the responsibility that they have to the one true and living God to steward the things that he has given to them in their life. It's wonderful when somebody understands what their responsibility is. I don't know if you've ever worked for a, a manager or a boss who wasn't clear in communicating his expectations and, and so you just floundered about in your job trying to, trying to figure out what it is that I'm supposed to be doing here. Well, God's made it very clear what we're supposed to be doing here. We're to be stewards of those things which he's given us. Again, alluding to the believer and what God has given us Amen. by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. It's the warning that God through Jude gives to us to say, listen, here's what you need to be doing. This is your responsibility. This thing was passed to you and, and you need to pass it to the next generation. We've been given that responsibility as citizens of the United States of America that we pass to the next generation something that God gave us as a nation. And so, responsibility was the first of those gifts that God gave to Adam in the Garden of Eden. Then in verse number 16 of Genesis chapter 2, we see God gave Adam this gift as well, opportunity. The Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden... Now man is freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam, you can eat of any tree in the garden that you want, except for that one. So God gave Adam responsibility, and God, God gave Adam opportunity to love and obey God of his own free will. He didn't put angels with flaming swords around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He put it right out there where Adam could get to it and make his own choice. And so we each possess these inalienable gifts.
today. Did you know that? They're God-given gifts. The gift of responsibility. The gift of stewardship. What God has given to us. Time. Talents and abilities. Treasure. Everything that we have that God has blessed us with. The air that we breathe. breathe we have a responsibility to steward it for God. But we also have a choice of whether we're going to do it or not. By the way, I've scribbled a note down here, so if I can't read it, you'll forgive me. The inalienable gift of responsibility and opportunity has within it the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If we make this about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we're going to squander our gifts of responsibility and opportunity. Don't make it about your rights. Make it about your responsibility to God. That's a much higher motive. You've got the right to choose. God created people, not puppets. He created the first human beings capable of giving a personal account of themselves before God. And that's sometimes referred to as individual soul liberty. And I want to give a plug here for our special Sunday in March called Baptist Heritage Sunday. It's on March the 14th. On that Sunday, we're going to have many wonderful things. The group from Heron, Montana will be here from Crown College. And they'll be helping us throughout that day to worship the Lord. They'll be singing and wonderful a wonderful time. Uh, we're going to have different preaching. Uh, we'll have some of those guys preaching. I'm going to preach the morning message, and the morning message will, if the Lord will, will be uh, thoroughly addressing our core belief of individual soul liberty, which is one of the fundamental doctrines that distinguishes us as Baptists. Baptist is not a denomination. I know that sounds funny, but Baptist is not a denomination. It is a set of doctrinal beliefs that distinguish us as Baptists. We did not come out of the Protestant church. We were never Catholic, ever. There's always been a group of people that have held to a distinct set of doctrines through all of the beginnings of the Catholic church and the Reformation and everything else. And a group that were called now Baptists. They've been called other things. Some of them I probably can't even say from the pulpit. But anyway, they've been called different things. There's always been that distinguished group of people that held to certain doctrines. You know, we thank God for uh, the fact that Martin Luther came around in the right way of thinking about certain things in the Protestant Reformation. We thank God for all the work that was accomplished there. But he came short of coming all the, all the way over to the distinct doc doctrines that we have held to be true as Baptists since the church at Jerusalem and before we don't believe in apostolic succession, in case anybody's wondering. We don't believe that. But we do believe that God has always had his remnant. And sometimes they've had to worship in caves and in closets. But there's always been a group of people that have held to some fundamental doctrines that distinguish them as what we would call today Baptists. And we are part of that group. We're going to talk about that on March the 14th. You do not want to miss that Sunday. I'm telling you. We're talking about individual soul 
liberty. An individual soul liberty is, is, is uh, not just about the liberty that one has in Christ, but about his responsibility to God. Galatians 5.13 uh, says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. So we were talking about Adam just a moment ago and how that God gave him those uh, two wonderful gifts of responsibility and opportunity. And Adam chose to disobey God, didn't he? To violate and disobey God. And wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by its sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We're sinners by nature. We inherited that, that, that sin uh, inheritance from Adam. As the first, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they cast and thrust all of the world into condemnation through their disobedience. And so death passed upon all men. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 5, Genesis chapter 6, that Adam had a son named Seth. And Seth was born not in God's image, but in the image of Adam's and in the likeness of Adam. What, what was that image? We talked about that last Sunday morning. He had a body, a soul, and a dead spirit. He had a spiritual birth defect. He was spiritually stillborn, just like every one of us who is born into this world is spiritually stillborn. And we need to be made alive. You hath he quickened, the Bible says, who are dead in their trespasses and sins. So death has fallen all men for that all have sinned. There's a payment to be made for sin. The wages of sin is death. Wage, the payment for sin is separations. Man was created with, with a body that would never die, but because, but because he disobeyed God of his own free will, he was cast into this, this thing of, of dying. His spirit died immediately, but then he began to have to sweat by, uh, you know, make his uh, grain and, and, and bring up the, till the ground by the sweat of his brow. And all these things, and, and the curses that were laid upon mankind because of it. And God didn't intend for that, but that's what happened because of the curse of sin. And the thing of death is, means separation. Yesterday we celebrated what, it, what would have been my grandson's second birthday. But he died. He was separated from us. So the word death means. It means to be separated. Do you know it's not only talking about a physical death. It's talking about spiritual death. Wages of sin is death. Revelation 21.8 says, But the fearful and the unbelieving, the abominable, and murders and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation speaks of what the second death is. It says, In death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The second separation is not just separation from time and, and, and our loved ones in time into eternity. The second death is a separation from God. Did you know that? That, that, that separation from God is a time that we're going to read about in just a, just a moment as we close the service. That it's going to be a time when those who have not yet trusted in Christ as their Savior will be separated from God for eternity and their name will be blotted out of the book of life. Not the Lamb's book of life. It's a different book. The Bible tells us in Revelation that there are other books that are open. There are the books of our works. There's the Lamb's book of life. There's names if you're entered into the Lamb's book of life. It's an indelible ink. It can't be taken away. But there's the book of life. And, and every time that somebody is conceived, and by the way, we believe that life begins at conception. 
That that person's life is recorded in the book of life. And that that person lives through their entire life and never trusts in Christ alone as their only hope of relationship with God and holding his presence for eternity. That there will come a time when that person who has not trusted Christ will stand before the great white throne judgment and be cast, separated from God forever, for eternity, and into the lake of fire. And their name will be blotted out of the book of life. It will be as if they never even existed. To me, that's the true terror of hell. It's not the flames. It's not the suffering. It's not the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. It's the fact that it will be as if I never even existed if I was not saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Wages of sin is death. But, aren't you glad for conjunctions? <laughs> the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But, but God <laughs> commendeth his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ paid the payment for our sin. He, he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Born not of blood. You can't be born into a Christian family and have the promise of eternal life. Did you know that? Noise unsettles me a bit as a pastor, as a preacher. When I ask somebody to tell me about how they came to faith in Christ, they say, well, I was born into a Christian home. I've always been a Christian. That goes against John 1, 13, not of blood. It goes on to say in verse 13, nor the will of the flesh. Sometimes a person will tell me, well, I, I, I do good things. I do more good things than I do bad things. And I hope that when I stand before God someday that the good will outweigh the bad, my friend, the Bible says until a person comes to faith in Christ, they're condemned already. The only thing that the lost will be judged for in heaven is did you accept the payment that Jesus made? The Bible says they'll be judged according to their works. Guess what? If you got one work that was a bad work, what did James say? That if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you're guilty of the whole thing. One time. I had a man tell me on his doorstep one time, that's not fair. I don't trust him. I don't believe in a God who would do that. One sin? Are you kidding me? I looked at him. I was kind of shocked that he said it. it was the first time I'd heard anything like that. I looked at him in all sincerity and said, sir, I wouldn't trust a God who didn't do that. You know what he does by doing that? He levels the ground at the foot of the cross. Everybody's got to come the same way. Oh, look at that guy. He only sinned one time in his entire life. Oh, come on, dude. You? You sinned a thousand times. Go to hell. I won't believe in a God like that. But I will believe in a God that says the only way you can come is through the one who kept the whole law. And here he is. His name's Jesus. The God man. John 1, 13 goes on to say, nor the will of man. And that touches on 
on our subject this morning, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Mommy and Daddy can't do it for you. I know, and I'm not being critical here. Please, if, if you hear this, I want you to understand I'm saying this from a heart of love to try to explain this the very best that I can. Baptizing infants is, is silly. You can't impose eternal life on somebody else. Religions tried to do that for thousands of years. Convert or die. You know, I'm going to bring more of this out on Baptist Heritage Sunday, but there is not a single case recorded in history where people that have held to Baptist doctrines have ever forced another person to place their faith in Christ alone. You know why? Because one of our fundamental doctrines is individual soul liberty. You choose, you can do whatever you want. You can accept this truth or you can reject it. That's between you and the Lord. I've, I've known an awful lot of nasty Baptist preachers who make you think otherwise, but you know, I mean, <laughs> fundamentally, I, don't, I try not to do that. I really do. I try to let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit because I know what an effective job he's done in my life. I want God to bring you to the same conclusions he, he's brought me to. I don't want to do it for you because when God does it, it's going to be real. You're going to know it. And you'll never doubt it. If, if, if I can convince you to do something later on, you might doubt that because I might mess up and you might say, well, if he messed up, is what he said true? Or, you know, you understand? I mean, we have, we're, the world is full of failed preachers. Amen. You know what's really sad? It makes me want to cry, but I'm not going to do it because I'm on camera. The number of men that I started the ministry with that have failed, and it's happened so much, but it doesn't even surprise me anymore, and that makes me want to cry. But I tell you what, if it's God that does the work in your heart and convinces you and brings you to the same conclusion by the Holy Spirit and by His Word that He brought me to on September 16th, 1979, and March of 1993, and at other times in my life, it's going to be real, and you'll go back to it, and you'll go back to it, and you'll go back to it and say, no, I'm not going to doubt, because that was God. nor the will of man, but of God. You need to be born again in order to be able to stand before God someday and for him to look at you and say, enter into my rest. You've accepted the payment I provided. Enter in. Each person as the individual responsibility of stewardship and the individual right to choose. We cannot force our faith upon another individual. Now I want to say this before we begin to conclude. That does not mean that anyone can become a Christian by believing or rejecting anything they wish. You may believe anything you choose, but that doesn't change the truth. There are 4,000 systems of belief at least in this world today. And none of them agree. Not one. So if none of them agree, they can't all be right. 
You can believe anything that you want. You were created by God with that inalienable gift of opportunity to believe whatever you want. But it doesn't change the truth that God has revealed to us in his word. You didn't have to believe that this is God's word, but it is. It doesn't change the truth that it is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Pastor, are you saying that Jesus is the only way, that your religion is the only right way? Yeah, I am. It's not a religion. I had a man say to me today, I met him in a restaurant and talked with him for a little while. I handed him a gospel tract, one of those, somebody loves you. He's a Purple Heart veteran from the Vietnam War. Not, not, not our Purple Heart veteran. I gave him that tract and he said, can you give me religion? I said, I can't give you religion, but I can tell you how to have a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not about religion. I hate religion. Religion has sent far too many people into wars and into hell. I'm against religion. I'm all for a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and there's only one way to have that. Jesus said, I am the door. There's no other way in. Not one. Matthew chapter 7. You'd think that because it's so easy, you know, that, that the majority of people would say, you know, that if it's so easy and so clear, there's only one door, then I'm just going to go ahead and take that door and, and, and that'll be that. You'd think that that would be that would be the broad road, you know? you think you'd find most people there. Christ has made it so easy, but boy, the, the pride of man. We just can't believe it's that simple. And Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Have you been one of those few? You would think that something so easy would be the big, the big gate, the big crowd, right? It's not. Word of God clearly teaches us that every one of us is accountable to God themselves. It is in our sin nature. By the way, we're sinners by nature. I explained that a little while ago, how that we inherited that sin nature from Adam. But the truth is we're sinners by practice. <laughs> All have sinned. We come out of the womb telling lies. You ever had a baby? They're not wet. They're not hungry. But they're screaming like they're dying. <laughs> come out of the womb telling lies. Thank God we have a God. We know the character of God that with little babies. If they die before the age of accountability, God receives them into his into his presence. We know that to be true about my grandson, Andrew. He's absent from the body, but he's present with the Lord. Amen. And we also take great hope in this that, and I encouraged my son yesterday with this, that little baby boy is going to rise from the dead. That body, that body is going to rise from the dead. Those that are dead in Christ, their body is going to rise from the dead just like Christ and his body rose from the dead. I don't know how all that works. And again, we're talking about an infinite God with a finite mind. How does that all work? I don't know, but it's going to be neat to see and I know it to be true. And you know why I believe it? Because God said it. I don't have to see it. Mm -hmm. Amen. 
It's in our sin nature to reject being held personally accountable for our actions. We'll all personally meet God face to face someday. Every one of us will stand before the Lord and answer to him alone. And it's in one of two places, and I want to take you here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to show you the, the two different places. This is for the believer. Those that have trusted in Christ alone as their only hope of relationship with God and a home in his presence for eternity. This is where you will face God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. If you've trusted in Christ, you're going to stand before God someday with nothing to hide behind, no excuse to make, and give account for everything that you let your eyes see, everything you let your ears hear, everything you let your hands do, every place that you let your feet take you, every place. And you'll give account of your stewardship, and how you tended the garden of your life in Christ. Therefore, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's an encouragement to us, isn't it, as believers? Now I want to take you to one other scripture to show you the other, the other place in which those who have not trusted in Christ their Savior, where they will stand before God. Romans, uh, Revelation, rather, chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Revelation 20, 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, verse number 12 of Revelation 20. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire to be separated from God and his knowledge for eternity. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Nothing to hide behind. No excuse to give. And for those at the great white throne, it will be too late. And they're going to, you understand, the first time Jesus came, he came as a suffering Savior. The next time he comes, he's coming as a reigning king. Amen. And while he intercedes on our behalf today, one day he will judge righteously with perfect justice against all who have rejected him. So we've got a choice to make, don't we? Accept 
reject. We might leave today So I haven't rejected anything. I just haven't made a decision. Well, you voted with your feet. I used to do that as a witness to others on the street. I used to do a lot of marketplace evangelism. I probably should do more of that now. Where I would just strike up conversations with people in different places. I do that still, but it's different now. COVID changed everything. Nobody wants to get within six feet of you. And write me so. I understand. But if I shared the gospel clearly with somebody and, and as, as clearly as I could, I'd say, I'd say something like, wouldn't you like to receive Christ as your only hope of relationship with God and home in God's presence for eternity right now? I'm asking you that. Wouldn't you like to do that? If you haven't done that before? If the person tells me no, Quite often I would say, well then, I guess you're rejecting Christ? Oh no, no, I'm not rejecting Christ. I'm just not ready to do that yet. There's only two. There's only, only two. You accept them or you reject them. Now you might be able to change your mind later on. You might be able to make your choice later on. By the way, here's a great principle to teach your grandchildren, your children about choices. You have the right to choose. But once you make your choice, you lose your ability to choose. Did you know that? In every choice, when you make a choice, you've made your choice and you lose your ability to choose and the consequences are inevitable and calculable and entirely up to God. Now you can choose differently to, to fix it. Don't get me wrong. But when you make a choice, you lose your ability to choose. If somebody chooses from this moment to reject Christ and they don't have another moment of time, then they've made the wrong choice and it's inevitable, it's incalculable, and it's up to God. Judge yourself in this moment of time, not only placing your faith and trust in Christ alone as your only hope of a relationship with God and home in His presence for eternity, but decide today that I, my life from this day forward is going to be dead to self and alive unto God. Because I'm going to face Him someday. And every time that we are tempted to do something uh, that might be out of the nature and character of God, may we be challenged as believers to say, no, I'm going to stand accountable before God's name. As I knelt and prayed this morning at our revival prayer meeting at 9.30, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, as I speak today, help me to speak as though I am in your presence because I am. I hope that I've done that. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. And every one of us shall give account of himself to God.